the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 544 for Ides of March plus one. <laughs> 2015. folks and welcome to the mac observers mac geek gab the podcast where you send in your questions and we provide the answers and it's not just us that provides the answers we all help each other out and we share some tips and we have a lot of fun doing it together the goal of course in addition to having some fun is to learn a lot of new stuff i'm not going to set any expectations you 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 choose how much you want to learn we'll uh, choose how much we want to deliver this episode is sponsored in part by Linda, lynda.com slash MGG gets you 10 days free of their beautifully crafted videos, training videos. We'll talk more about that later in the show. This show is sponsored by a brand new sponsor, not only to this podcast, but I believe their first podcast sponsorship ever, uh, Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com. We'll talk about some of the stuff that they have going on and some of the specials they've got going on. Uh, and also... A longtime sponsor, probably uh, one of one of the first sponsors of this show ever, uh, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, makers of fine quality software that we will talk about in specificity later in the show. Here in Durham, sunny Durham, New Hampshire, with the sun pouring in through the studio window. This is fine afternoon. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here, Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? Sunny Good. down there today, too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Everything's melting. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We're, we've, we're, we've lost several feet of, uh, of our snow, um, pack here, but we still, I probably have about two feet left, but that's, you know, that's better than five, which is where it was for a while. So it's fun. Yeah. Well, you said spring, spring's going to spring any day now. Um, well specifically, I believe it springs on Saturday. Is that, is that right? Sometime, sometime between Saturday and Sunday, right? I don't. When is the uh, the that would be? Uh, wow, that's not the that's not the equinox, right? Because the vernal equinox is when summer starts. How come I can't remember any of this, John? What's going on with me today? I don't know. Something happens. Spring starts, right? Or is that is that right? Mm-hmm. Is it what, what's the day? What's the uh, what's the celebration there, John? You got to help me out. You're Mr. Science. What uh, echo, the the equal equinox or is that is that what it is I, though? I forget. I know something like that. Is it is is that the thing? I can't remember it. Anyway, it is. It's the vernal equinox, right? Friday, March twentieth, twenty fifteen, at six forty five p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. There we are. So it is the vernal equinox. I should just trust my uh, trust my gut on those things. Uh, you know, let's talk about. I know I mentioned them during the uh, intro of the show here. Let's talk about Linda. It, we had um, the the folks at Linda, as I mentioned, make beautiful, lovingly handcrafted. They really are handcrafted videos. Uh, they, they've got excellent instructors that pour their hearts and and time and energy and intellect into these videos. If you like Mac geek gab, which presumably you bothered to download this show and press play, which is awesome. Uh, if you like Mac geek gab, you're going to like Linda. It, it's 
it's an extension of what we do here. They're very specific uh, training videos. So while we kind of provide, I mean, we get very specific, but it's, you know, general stuff across the board. They do deep dives uh, on lots of different subjects and it's fantastic. They're so well done. They've got, uh, they've got courses for anything. You, you know, um, listener Dave wrote in and said back in March of 2014, I decided to investigate pursuing a new career as a backend web developer. He says, I've been a long time listener to the show and I'd heard you mention Linda is a great place to go for learning. I found quite a few courses that helped me down the path of getting the necessary skills and experience to launch an entirely new career. I'm happy to say that as of this month, which is uh, this current month, I am working full time as a back end developer for a Bay Area company. And it's all thanks to Linda's excellent training courses. Thank you so much for promoting Linda. And thanks for all that you guys do. So some of the so he within the last year, he just decided to change his life in terms of the job that he does. And he learned an entirely new career. I'm not going to go through all of the courses that he took, uh, but he listed several things. And these are courses that you can take on Linda and actually learn things that are going to change your life. Building a Facebook application or building Facebook applications with PHP and MySQL up and running with bash scripting, building a website with node.js and express.js JavaScript and JSON understanding SSH object oriented programming with PHP. I'm taking that one uh, up and running with angular JS HTML essential training, installing Apache MySQL in PHP jQuery essential training, all of these things and lots more JavaScript essential training. Foundations of programming. They've got all kinds of classes just to get the nuts and bolts together. It's fantastic. And and he did it entirely. And here's the deal. He sure he could have gone to, you know, he could have gone to a, a like a local community college, perhaps. I mean, he's in the Bay Area. There's a lot of people there that know a lot of stuff. My guess is there's a lot of them that would be willing to teach him, but not for twenty five bucks a month. That's the thing, right? You get Linda. It's 25 bucks a month and, and you can actually get discounts if you, you know, if you're going to buy a whole year or whatever. So, I mean, this is a no brainer. He, he did this basically for less than what most of uh, America spends on coffee in a given month. Like a lot less, probably less than most of America spends on coffee in a given week. Uh, he did this and now he's got a whole new skill set. So that's where, uh, that's where you got to take a look at this and you don't have to change your life. You can just pick it up because it is inexpensive. It's 25 bucks a month. You can just pick it up and do whatever you like to do and learn more. So check out Linda L Y N D a.com slash M G G. And that slash M G G is important because that's the thing that gets you 10 free days. You can view Linda on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer, all that stuff. So check it out and tell us just like Dave did. Please write in. Tell us what courses you like. It's awesome. Thank you so much to Linda. Thank you to all of you uh, that have checked it out. And if you haven't yet, it's free. 10 days. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G. All right, John. So let's go to Sean here. We have uh, we have some interesting. We got a lot of interesting questions, I feel like, today. Sean says, over the years, I've set up many airport base stations. And I've always set radio channels manually rather than leaving them set to automatic. However, with the current generation extremes and expresses from Apple, I noticed something interesting. Specifically, if you leave the five gigahertz radio set to automatic, 
Base station will often choose a channel that isn't possible to select manually in airport utility. I've seen the Express choose channels 52 and 60, while the Extreme seems to like channel 132. My question then is, what is the best practice for setting up our airports? Should I continue to do it manually, or will I be a better radio frequency citizen if I allow it to choose, since that seems to enable the base station to use more channels? Why aren't these extra channels available? All right. So uh, 5 gigahertz radio is an interesting um, an interesting setup here. So, uh, John, I just got a note from you. You're, are we back in sync here? Uh Oh, I think I lost John. So we're going to go ahead and pause and figure out what's going on. I'll be right back. All right, we're back. And I think we've got audio working properly. Um, so rewinding a little bit here, um, in terms of how you have things, uh, set up. So five gigahertz channels are an interesting little beast, uh, they are all each channel itself is 20 megahertz in width. And there's a, there's a great, it's, it's easiest if you can see it, or at least I find it easiest to see it. So I found a, a decent article here um, that I will put into the show notes as well as the, um, the chat room, everybody there at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. And, uh, and, and you can see how um, five gigahertz channels are 20 megahertz in width. But most of the time for 802.11ac, they get bonded together. And the spec actually lets them bond together in 40 megahertz widths, meaning two channels, 80, meaning four, or 160 uh, to get full 802.11ac, although that's, I think that's mostly in, uh, in practice. Uh, I think maybe it's working now. But anyway, that's, that's how this works. So um, what happens is the channels that you get to pick are impacted by whether you are going to bond with channels above you or channels below you. And, and it can be done either way. Right. And so when you're looking at that list of channels that you can choose in the the manual list, I forget which way Apple does it, but they picked, you know, it's either going to be the, the ones above you or it's going to be the ones below you. Um, when it does it automatically, it seems like sometimes it's going to go ahead and, and do that in a different way, which is totally fine. The radios will all support it. All the clients are built to support it. It's not a problem. You just don't have. And this goes back to how airport utility works. It's simple. It's clean, but it is lacking uh, most advanced features, not all, but most advanced features. So the, the airport uh, base stations are far more capable than the software that runs on them lets them be. Uh, and then and then beyond that, uh, even the software on your Mac is even less capable than that. But it simplifies the user interface and you don't really have to worry about this stuff. So I think you're probably and uh, in terms of that automatic mode. My experience and John, you can correct me if you found something different, but my experience with that is the automatic mode is not a constant automatic mode. It is it does a scan when it starts up or restarts figures out what channel is best according to its own logic, which may or may not be right, uh, but not necessarily wrong. And then chooses that and stays with it until it restarts again. So it's not constantly questioning itself with that in mind. I prefer to keep my uh, radios 
all on manual because I can manage it. I have a couple of them going. I don't want them interfering with each other. I don't want them interfering with my neighbors, but what it does mean. And, and I would recommend this to you too, Sean is check it every three or four months, you know, fire up something like iStumbler or, or, or your favorite utility to look around and see what your neighbors are using and just make sure that you are choosing the right channel and putting your, your networks in the, in the right place. So that's my, uh, that's my feelings on it. Thoughts, John. I, I, tr- I, I trust your feelings. Um, yeah. Thoughts. So a number of thoughts here. So number one, you may be asking yourself, how do I even see this sort of thing? Well, I'm going to tell you how. So you fire up our friend airport utility you go to the wireless tab, you will then see a wireless options dot, dot, dot button. Of course, dot, dot, dot means that you're going to see more. And then you will see more and you're going to see a bunch of things here. You're going to see radio mode, which um, here's a, a hidden little secret. So if you click on that, you're going to get a few options for which bands you like to use in uh, both the 2.4 and the 5 gigahertz. Normally you hold that down, you're going to get a you know a couple of choices if you hold down Alt, when you click on that menu, you're going to get way more choices. And I would say in general, if you know that you will not need a certain band, like you have no 802.b devices or G devices or whatever devices, um, uh, I, I would set up the radio to not do them unless you know a guest is coming and they need it. And then you, you set it back. I, I think the default setting is the most liberal and that it allows all the bands that the, the device supports. But if, if you want to limit it, that, that can help. And then the second thing, as you pointed out, Dave, is you have a place to select channels. Now, I use uh, our favorite utility for this sort of thing, Dave. Uh, there, there are a number of them, including some built into OS X, but uh, iStumbler. So yeah. I use iStumbler, and actually I'm going to tell you what I see here, Dave. So I, I think, it, and I'm kind of got a slip, split personality here, and then I'm looking at my settings right now, and my 2.4 gigahertz channel is set to 1. Why did I do that? Because... The last I looked at what's surrounding me using iStumbler, one was the channel that was least populated or the, um, the other channels had things on them that were uh, at high enough power levels. So there's sure. two things. One, you can see devices around you. What channel are they on? But then the other thing you got to keep in, in mind, and iStumbler does this a great job of this, is what's the signal strength? And you got to weigh that and kind of pick the, the least... Mm-hmm. Get far away from the channel that has the highest signal strength is what you want to do in both cases. Now, it's funny, though, because I look, Dave. So channel one for me on the 2.4 makes the most sense at this point. But like you said, you want to look because, you know, you're going to get, you know, interlopers and people moving away and people moving in and new base stations. My five gigahertz, I, I set to automatic. And it's interesting because it seems to have made the right decision, because when I use iStumbler and look what's surrounding me, Dave, the only thing that I can see in five gigahertz is my local a uh, cable company. Uh, well, that's not that's not surprising, right? Because five has significantly shorter range, right? Than right. But what I'm seeing, uh, uh, what I'm seeing though, so I see optimum Wi-Fi. So in my neck of the woods here, optimum, and actually I oh. see three of them. They have a cross licensing agreement, so I see optimum Wi-Fi, TWC Wi-Fi, and Xfinity. They have a cross oh, licensing right. agreement. Okay, at least in my neighborhood. So if you see one, you're going to see all three. And they are right now on channel 161. So I think what happened is my base station, the last that looked, it said, you know what? I'm going to get as far away from that as possible. And my five gigahertz set on automatic is on channel 36. 
So in that case, it did the right thing, though. You know, I may want to. So last I looked, I didn't have an I didn't feel there was a need for me to override what the base station decided because it made the right choice. It's like, okay, well, there's somebody on this high channel, so I'm going to be as far away from that as possible. Yeah, I did it manually for the 2.4 because I think the last time it didn't make the right decision. Right. Pick the channel that somebody else was on and, and the signal strength was kind of high because but, as you said, I don't they believe it's dynamic. It, it's whenever you restart the base, it makes the decision and that sticks until you yeah. cycle power restart it. Yeah, the tough part with 2.4 is for that automatic with 2.4 is not it, there's usually so much interference there and so much congestion that it's hard for it to get it right. And what we've found is it everyone we've talked to says on 2.4, you either want to be on channels one channel six or channel 11. Um, if Apple's stuff sees congestion on those channels, it will start picking channels in the middle, like two or three um, or seven or eight. The way I've been taught Wi-Fi works is if you are on the same channel, if two base stations are on the same channel, they will actually negotiate with each other and make sure they don't get in each other's way. Now, um, if you're on channel two, you're sharing bandwidth with channel one. If you're on channel five, you're sharing bandwidth with channel six. These, these things, they basically run from like negative three to positive three, positive three to positive eight and positive eight to, you know, like 13 or something. So we focus on the centers of those ranges. One six and 11. And those are all now discrete channels, especially if we're running uh, 20 megahertz channels, which is all Apple equipment runs. So it works great. But if, and and when they're focused on, when everybody's on exactly the same channel, they deal with each other, even if it's two base stations. However, if you have one base station on channel one and another one on channel two, they will not deal with each other, but they will be interfering with each other because of that. I've always been taught you put this stuff on, even if you have interference, you just pick the the least worst. Right. So if like John said, right, you know, if you've got somebody, people on one, six and 11 all around you, just find the one that's on the, you know, that, that, that has the least power and choose that. And then the, the base stations will deal with it. There is, however, um, one caveat to that. If you have no interference from anyone, uh, I've been told that the edge channels of one and 11 have slightly um, crippled speeds uh, due to a couple of things, uh, mostly regulatory. So, and this came to me from a, a, a router manufacturer, some folks that used to work at Buffalo uh, in his, in this, this one guy said in his house, what he does is he runs two and 10 but that he has no interference anywhere else around him. And so he just comes in from two and 10 and he says that gets him slightly faster speeds than one and 11. That's on two gigahertz on five. I was going to say five, all channels are, are treated equally, but that's actually a lie um, because you have some channels that are, uh, I, I believe it's DFS. Is that the right uh, terminology? And so they have to kind of get out of the way of, of various government radios and, and things like that. But, um, but there you go. Anything else? No, I think how, we how had a nice little, yeah. uh, fairly deep. I mean, I. All right, cool. Let's, um, while we're on the subject of wireless, Jim had, uh, well, Jim installed iOS 8.2. 
and on both his iPhone and his iPad before leaving on a trip. He says, uh, now I'm at the next airport. I noticed that my iPad sees my iPhone as a personal hotspot. This is despite the fact that I have personal hotspot disabled on my iPhone and have never, ever used it that way. So being curious, I just asked the iPad to use the iPhone as a hotspot. Voila, the iPad connected to the phone. The phone reported a device using it as a hotspot. And then going into phone settings, I found the on off slider for personal hotspot was now turned on. I can replicate this. The necessary conditions are that the iOS device needs to have a cellular data connection and Bluetooth connection turned on and active. The position of the personal hotspot slider is irrelevant. The outside device somehow forces the connection. Bad Apple, says Jim. This works the other way, too. The phone can use the iPad as long as it has its own cell connection. Okay, he says, uh, and, and he sent this to us as a PSA to, to warn everyone that you need to be aware of this. And, you know, he says, uh, I, I never noticed this behavior, but I want to secure my devices in the airport to keep other people from using them. So here's the thing. Um, you're right. This is absolutely uh, reproducible and is intentional on Apple's part. The only devices that can trigger your other devices to turn hotspot on and off remotely are devices that are connected to the same iCloud account, right? So it's not somebody else walking past you in the airport couldn't do this uh, unless they are, they have a device that's signed into your iCloud account. And in theory, your Mac should do this, too. I think it depends on the model of the Mac. And um, I, I think laptops from 2011 and later can do this. Uh, I might be wrong on that. But but that that's the this is the intended thing. And it's it, uh, it it was built as a convenience measure. Presumably, if if you're all your machines are logged into the same iCloud account, they are your devices. And if your phone happens to be in your bag and you pull out your laptop and you want to get online, you don't want to have to dig out your phone and go into the settings and yada, yada. You just say go and it goes. So that's the intent. It's there's nothing nefarious going on here. And, and it is secured by um, iCloud credentials. Good. Yeah. It's great. It is great. I agree. I'm going to point people to one article that may help clear up some of the confusion here, Dave. Thank you, sir. Because you know how I love Apple. Uh, this isn't an Apple support article, but it's actually a thing that advises you of some of the new functionality here. Okay. Um, and if you go to www.apple.com slash OSX or 10 slash continuity, it will give you the lowdown on this. Though I don't think it goes into the level of detail that, that Dave just did. Okay. But it advises you about some of these features, including the uh, the hotspot feature. Instant so, hotspot. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we'll link to that. But it, but it is. A, a, no, it's good to keep your eye on that. Um, and it's iOS 8.1, according to this page that is required, which makes sense because I've been doing this for a while and actually don't even have 8.2 on my iPad yet. So. Yeah, I mean, even now when I look on my my MacBook Pro here, I kind of freak out when under the, uh, on the Wi-Fi menu and actually I see it now. It says personal hotspot. Mm-hmm. John's iPad. I'm like, huh? Oh, right, right. <laughs> so they, uh, yeah, but they don't make it entirely clear that a lot of this is based on you being part of your your iCloud is baked into your iCloud access that that provides the security. The one thing that. Um that bothers me with, I like this, right? This is great. But here's the deal. When I'm on my iPhone, I can go into the settings and manage which apps I allow and disallow, uh, from using my cellular data. 
right? So I, if I have some app that I know just downloads gobs and gobs of stuff and I don't care about having access to that gobs and gobs remotely, uh, I'll tell it to turn off cellular data. I can do the same on my iPad for when I'm using my iPad cellular connection. But if you're using a hotspot, I don't believe it adheres to those rules. And certainly your Mac doesn't adhere to those rules because there's no place on your Mac to say, turn off cellular data for this application. So you got to be, that's my one issue with this. And I wish Apple provided a way to manage it a little bit better to allow you to say, yeah, okay, look, I'm on my, my tethered connection. I only want to allow these apps through. And this John is actually why I started using little snitch. So I have a couple of profiles with little snitch, which is a, a, a firewalling app, I guess. I mean, I, I th- think that's probably the best uh, description out outgoing firewall in that it controls the connections not coming in, which is traditionally mm. w- what a firewall is defined as is it yeah. keeps things from the outside from getting inside. But little snitch does the opposite. It keeps well, it does both. Which I mean, Little Snitch can can manage can connections both. in both both directions. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't use it for incoming. I use it, but yeah. You know, that's funny because I learned that the someone asked the pose the question, and I actually dug into the documentation. Yeah. You can, in fact, if you want to, though, though I don't think it's the best tool for that to, to block incoming. I, I think it's best for managing outgoing stuff because you well, get the alerts and well and for this. Stuff, right? For this, it's great. So I have three profiles set up in Little Snitch now. Number one is allow everything no matter what it is. And I have that automatically get set when it's on my home or other known Wi-Fi network. So I don't have to think about it at home. Little Snitch is never in my way, right? Which is great. I don't worry about it. Uh, Then I have a travel normal uh, thing for when I'm in like hotels or whatever, and I just, you know, I want to be able to do stuff, but like, I don't want my backups trying to run over hotel Wi-Fi because it's just, it's always a mess. Right. So I have that and I set that for, you know, various Wi-Fi networks and it, it, it automatically changes. And this is on my MacBook Air. And then I have travel limited, which is effectively what I use when I am uh, tethered. I, I'm, you know, I could use it anytime. And this I manage very specifically and only allow certain apps, you know, email I will allow because I can control that. If I don't want my email being checked, I just quit mail. But things like Dropbox, no, you know, uh, BitTorrent Sync, no. All that stuff that's just kind of running in the background all the time. iPhoto Sync, no, right? Because that can be a real mess. And again, your Mac says I'm on Wi-Fi, so I'm just going to do everything. And suddenly it's like, you know, even without any apps running, you know, gigabytes of data of your pictures are sinking down to it. It's like, no, 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 not right now. So I've blocked all that stuff. And little snitch actually makes it pretty easy to, to deal with, with uh, managing all of that. If you, you got to take your time and go through it. I've mentioned this to the folks over there that, you know, they have an opportunity to create a separate product that basically builds on the same little snitch code base and, and, and creates, you know, makes this a whole lot easier for, for folks like us. But, um, but it is doable with little snitch. And so I use it for that and it's great for that. So, you know, I wish, I wish there was an easier way, but, um, well, they've gotten better. Like for example, their outgoing stuff uh, that it used to be where it wasn't smart enough to understand a domain. And every time it went out to, to something, because a lot of, a lot of people have server farms. So if you got, uh, for an example, you wanted to get a picture from Instagram, 
it would say, oh, well, I'm going to server123.instagram.com. And you're like, okay, allow that. Then the next time, yeah. it would be like, oh, I'm going to server four. Five. Now it allows you to say, okay, no, allow anything to Instagram. Right. And pull down. Uh, yeah. So that was, a, a, I think, a major breakthrough. Yep. Because before then, it was incredibly tedious because it was a moving target in that it, 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 it was useless. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you'd have to set a new, new rule every time. They, they yeah. got a lot better on that. And, uh, it's not bad. Some other. You can go in and, and see if you've, you know, on the fly, it'll ask you to create rules and then you can go in later and, and look and say, Oh, I've got rules that are, you know, one's preempting another so I can delete this and clean it up again. It, it would be nice to just be able to say, let this app do stuff. Don't let that app do stuff. Uh, it would be real simple, mm-hmm. I, you know, to just, but it, listen, it's, it's workable. I just, you know, I want something better. So, Hey, uh, the door is open and I think there's a lot of people that would be interested in this. So if you're a developer, mm-hmm. maybe Mr. Braun here, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for you to hang your own little shingle and, uh, and sell a uh, handy, useful piece of software, my friend. Wow. I'm a not that neck guy, but nah, I yeah. could dip my toe in the water. I'm, I'm part of the dev program. No, I, yeah. I, I've used Xcode. Yeah. I'm not crazy. I'm still not crazy about it. I know it has some rough edges, but um. Yeah, one of their rough edges is though is is um, is not the issue of having customers though. So it's like you know. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean. No, this just, is this is where the just, world lives now. So it's how they put the different pieces of the environment together. I and get it. People can shake their fist at me, but I still find Visual Studio uh, a nicer environment. Hey, there's nothing wrong with and that. I've used, and I've used both. Yeah, but uh, but but Xcode is improving. They make a lot of things easier. Um, yeah, we won't go into developer course here. Um, you know, uh, where should we go, Dave? I, I feel it's almost time for... for um, I want to talk about other world computing, John. That's what I was going to... Oh, my gosh. I love those guys, but... <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, because I bought so much stuff from them, but... Well, yeah, but that's the... <laughs> Tell see, me about them, Dave. That's the thing, right? We both have. We've been buying stuff from OWC since long before this podcast uh, was even a twinkle in our eye. So, it, you know, it, it's fantastic to have... Uh, you folks over at OWC on board as, as sponsors. Many of the folks there are, are good friends of ours, but it, it really, what it comes down to is these folks know how to treat customers, right? And, and part of that, of course, is making sure that they deliver high quality products, but it goes beyond that. Uh, my experiences with them, countless, uh, you know, and here's the thing. They started uh, with a real focus on Ram. This is decades ago, right? But, they when it, they started a practice and and they they keep to it this day with everything that, that they sell. If there's a problem, and you know sometimes there's a problem with a you know piece of hardware or whatever, they bring it back in. They test everything locally here in the states, right? At their they don't you know farm it out to have somebody else figure out what went wrong. They figure it out, and that allows them to really keep the quality at a tip top, right? And and. It's fantastic. I, I wish everybody would do this, but that's okay. OWC does it. So, and they make some great products. Um, uh, they've got, you know, their new Thunderbolt two dock really is a, a game changer. If you have, uh, especially if you've got a machine from that kind of 2011 vintage, like the one that's in front of me here, uh, and you need, you, you know, you have a machine, it's got Thunderbolt in it but it doesn't have USB three or, you know, you want to add HDMI to your machine or you want to add firewire 800, or if you want to add gigabit ethernet to your laptop, when you're docked, 
their Thunderbolt two dock is awesome. This thing, it, it's got everything. It's got five USB three ports, uh, three on the back and two on the side to make it easy for charging. And the two on the side are actually high powered. So that they'll charge your, your iPad at full speed and all of that. It's got audio in and out on the back firewire, 800 gigabit ethernet. Uh, it's got two Thunderbolt ports, one obviously to plug into your Mac, the other uh, to pass through if you have a drive or, or something else you want to connect it to or um, a display and also for a display HDMI. All of these things can be plugged in at the same time. And it's uh, they've been selling out on their they've, they keep getting batches of them in. And they keep selling them out. But the good news is because they keep selling out, everything's still treated as a pre-order. They're getting another batch in, I, I hear, later this week. Actually, they say it's due on March 19th. So there you go. Two forty nine for this thing. So it's normally going to be three or two ninety nine, three hundred bucks. Uh, two forty nine is the price that you get to pay. You put it, put yourself on the pre order list, and and you'll probably get one probably pretty soon. They say that this batch hasn't yet sold out. So go check that out. That's one thing they've got. Another thing is uh, it's tax time, right? You know, you're getting all your stuff together. If you've got a standard Apple keyboard, you don't have a numeric keypad. Well, OWC has their newer tech. Uh, wireless aluminum keypad looks just like same design aesthetic as the Apple keypad keyboard sits right next to it. Looks really nice next to it. Adds all the keys that you're missing your page up page down. Obviously the whole numeric keypad with all your operators and all that stuff. And uh, you can actually get it with white keys like your Apple keyboard or black keys like your Apple keyboard. So you pick which one works for you and off you go. And obviously this would work with your laptop too. You can just throw it in your bag and you've got a perfectly uh, usable wireless aluminum keypad with all the numbers right there. So check all this out. MaxSales.com is is where you'll start. That that wireless keypad is actually at NewerTech.com slash keypad. But it's all the same folks uh, running things over there. Check them out. MaxSales.com. Make sure you let them know that Mac Geek Geb sent you. I know we've sent you there many times before. We're going to continue doing it. Uh, but this is their first podcast sponsorship ever, I believe. And, uh, and we want to show them that, uh, that, you know, this really works and this is a good way for, uh, for them to, to make sure they stay in your hearts and minds. So check it out, maxsales.com and, uh, and let them know we sent you. Thanks nice. folks. Yeah. Now, can I mention that's, uh, the, the, that's the place where I got my, uh, one terabyte S- or nine sixty gig SSD and also some of the USB three enclosures. Can I talk about that or you can mention that I actually asked them about that specific <laughs> drive earlier today and, and they asked, they didn't ask me not to include it, but they asked me to highlight other stuff cause they're actually running lower on stock on that drive. So if you do want that, that nine sixty gigabyte drive, uh, go get it. <laughs> no, I just looked it's, it's still the, the, the price is still in the three hundreds. I know um, it's amazing. And then they have, have these USB three enclosures that that uh, I think are great. I, they're, they're very basic. They do USB three wonderfully. You know, good throughput, and uh, I think they're like twenty twenty five bucks or something. Yeah, it's good stuff. Great stuff. So yeah. that that's the latest I got from them, and uh, I think I got RAM from them in the past too. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, okay, MaxSales.com. Yeah, absolutely. All right, John, you had a um, <laughs> speaking a, of things a, a that you had, well, speaking of things that you had bought. Uh, you tend to file your mail, uh, your receipts into a separate mailbox and you went to look at that mailbox and you couldn't get into it. And that led to an well, I, scenario. Well, I could, but it was a learning journey. And I, I just wanted to um, help other people if they run into this as well. So, Dave, it was actually a receipt I got from the USPS. 
which is our own fine United States Postal Service. Because I just sent you something using USPS, Dave. Well, they tried, tried to, to deliver to- it, even though I, I ran downstairs <laughs> right before the show started and watched the guy literally leave my driveway. That was all. I, I, think, he, I think he, he pulled up, uh, touched your front door, and then drove away. He gl- I, I've know, heard of... He, I, I've heard is- it's not unique to USPS. I, I've heard of other delivery companies doing doing that as well. I, I wouldn't say that they don't try, but sometimes they, they could try harder. Listen, listen, <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you a story. I was in my, it was a Saturday. I was in Texas at our house. I was in my driveway. I don't know. I was washing my car, or, you know, doing something outside. The mailman pulled up along on the street because our, our, our mailbox was uh, on the street and put stuff in the box. We waved to each other and he drove off. Great. No problem. You know, it's Saturday, whatever. And so a couple minutes later, I walked down to the mailbox and opened it up. And in the mailbox is a sorry, we missed you note. And it was like, well, what did you, we didn't miss. We're all right here. So, oh no, he, he missed you as soon as he hmm. drove away. Yeah. 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 He was really, he was broken up about it too. So, uh, I got in my car and I chased him down. Cause I, he, you know, we, we lived on kind of a busy road and, and, and I, and there were several houses. So I knew, I, I knew where he would be and I chased him down. I'm like, I knocked on his door. I'm like, dude, what, you know, what's this? We didn't miss each other. He's like, oh yeah, I didn't have room to put it in my, uh, in my thing today. So I just left the note. Seriously. Okay. Thank you. And I get it. Sometimes they have a quota. I told you one time I got, I got a notice from FedEx ground, which isn't really FedEx. It was an acquisition, but I I, I got a notification one time from them saying, yeah, package delivered. And I'm like, I looked at my door, uh, my porch and I'm like, um, nope. Nope. So I call them up and I'm like, yeah, where's, um, you know, here's, here's the package ID. They're like, oh yeah, he's, he's on the way. I'm like, um, (laughs) yeah. What part of delivered did, did we did we not communicate with each other here to me delivered means it's not on the truck delivered means it's not on the truck and it's in my house or on my porch or where yeah. you guys put it yeah wherever That's you hilarious. chose to leave it yeah all right, all right. so, so anyway anyways, yeah, so it was a receipt for the service that i uh, you know so, so they they send you a receipt you can uh, you know pay for a la- you can print the label yourself pay for it everything's great i put it on the box that i sent you dave and i got a receipt for it but it was mangled it was garbled and that I got it, uh, you know, like, as you mentioned, I, I take all my receipts for anything I buy, uh, most everything, if yeah. I can. And if it's an email, I put it in a special folder. And it was mangled. And I'm like, oh, man. Well, you know, this is IMAP. Because you turned me on to IMAP, Dave. IMAP is a much better way of doing things than Sure, pie. sure. So I'm like, okay, well, let me... um. Let me let me go here. So, you know, I'm hosting that particular uh, email account on Yahoo right now, though I don't think that really matters in this case. Um, and actually, maybe because I'm using them, I, I was able to recover. So I went and in Apple Mail, uh, you know, I highlighted my receipts folder. I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's, um, you know, something's wrong here. So I'll just highlight the folder and I'll go to the mailbox menu. So this is one hint uh, for, for folks here to, to help solve email problems. If what's in your mailbox, um, and by mailbox, I mean a folder, though it's also called a mailbox as far as the mail server is concerned. But it looks like a folder in Apple Mail. If something in there isn't right, it may be that what you have locally is corrupted because copies of the mail are stored not only on your server, but are typically also stored in a cache on your computer. So if it's screwed up, you may want to highlight the folder, go to the mailbox menu and say rebuild. That's at the very bottom of the mailbox menu in mail. Now here's the problem, Dave. I highlighted it. 
it was grayed out. That's bad. That's interesting. And I'm like, well, and I highlighted other folders. It's a folder within a folder. And all the other ones had that, had that option available. So I'm like, okay, something is screwed up somewhere. So the first thing I did, and actually referring to a, a very nice article that our own MGG Jim did was, okay, something screwed up. And, and the advice from the article that he wrote is, well, why don't you rebuild the envelope index? I'm like, yeah, hey, couldn't hurt. Maybe that'll fix it. Well, it didn't. You know, mail started up. It said, ah, I'm, I'm re, you know, I'm, I'm re-importing messages. Hold on, hold on. And the message was still corrupt. I'm like, oh, great. This is terrible. But it showed up fine on other devices, Dave. So when I logged into mail using uh, uh, the iOS Yahoo Mail app, message yeah. showed up fine. All the graphics, everything was fine. It was still garbled on my Mac, and I'm like, okay, uh, okay. So it's just a, so it's really a local bad. problem, which is right, right. But, so rebuilding, uh, so but but the the solutions available were not in that I couldn't do a rebuild, and um, rebuilding the envelope index didn't work either like okay oh, this is just bugging okay. me well that makes sense right because the envelope index is just the um uh, the right way to say it. well it's the index that mail uses when you're searching for things among others but it's not specific to each mailbox it's sort of the umbrella index of of all of mail right so so the problem was basically it was corrupt in one location it was fine on the server i used um, though I don't think it was totally fine on the server because when I tried to use the iOS mail app to look at this folder, that didn't work either. It didn't see this message. So okay. something was screwed up. Here's how I solved it. And, and just a piece of advice to people that are having problems with a particular mailbox. So I use the web interface um, through a browser, not their iOS app, but I use the web interface to Yahoo Mail. Went to that folder or mailbox, same thing. Um, created a new mailbox called new receipts and then copied or I did a move. Yeah. So I basically highlighted all the messages in the existing mailbox, um, did a select all, which you can do with a checkbox. Um, it's kind of quirky because sometimes it's scrolling down. So you may not get all of them. So you may have to wait a bit in order to select, really select all of them. And then I said, okay, move all these guys to this other mailbox. And then I deleted the original mailbox, renamed the new mailbox to the name of the old one. Hooray. And actually now, so it resets something. It resets something that was corrupt, I think, not only on the server, because I think that the corruption kind of worked its way back up to the server. Because now when I click on that folder, Damon, I go to the mailbox menu, rebuild is now available. So yeah. a very, I think I have to say, I mean, the, the nature of IMAP, I think, made it so that I was able to recover from this. I think actually this was probably due to a network disruption in that one of these messages got mangled uh, in the local storage. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't restore from it. So this is how I went about. Yeah, that's interesting. My house back in order. And then when I went, like, for example, when I went on my other machine, it realized it was smart enough. So on my mini here, it's like, oh, I'm going to re-download everything because right. even though this has the same name, something is unique about this. It's like, oh, okay, well, you made this new mailbox, even though it has the name of the old one. So I'm going to re-download and redo the cache and stuff like that. So everything is happy across all devices now. And even on my iOS devices, they're happy too now. They said, oh, this is a new mailbox. I'm going to you know, re-download all the messages. So, so it happens. I, I, it, here's go. something you can do if... Um, 
if you if you had this problem and for whatever reason you couldn't get it from the server, either it wasn't stored, if it was a local mailbox or something, um, if you go into your library folder and go into mail, so home library mail, uh, inside the V2 folder, you will see an uh, a, a folder for each of your mail accounts. And then you'll see one that just says mailboxes, which is for all your local um, mailboxes on the, the things in the quote unquote on my Mac category. If you dig into here into any one of these, you'll kind of dig a little bit deep and there'll be some folders with weird serialized uh, IDs and then a data folder. And inside the data folder will be folders with numbers um, inside those folders. And you have to dig are finally you'll get to a folder that says messages and inside that folder or those folders, there will be lots of them. Uh, you will see files ending in dot EMLX. Each of those is an individual mail message. Mail stores. It, this seems inefficient. And at some level, it probably is uh, mail stores, every message as its own file. And it does this so that spotlight can search them. Uh, it's the, it was the easiest way for Apple to do this, but these are standard files and you can take these files and bring them back into mail as separate messages. If in fact you have a problem, just make a copy of it onto your desktop and then create maybe a new mailbox and start dragging these back in. And that for me has worked in the past. Uh, you can look at these individually from the finder. You can actually do a quick look on them and see, uh, the, the message itself. So if even if mail's indexes or your, your the folders index is corrupted, this will let you at least start to dig in and, and get at this stuff. So another another angle. For those of you that need it. A, a good angle. And, you know, yeah. I think the other thing I did, Dave, though, I don't. Yeah, it was kind of weird because I actually at one point went to the. um so another thing you may want to try, if, if your mail seems to be hopelessly screwed up, you could go to System Preferences, Internet Accounts, and you'll see a list of your internet accounts. And of course, in my case here, well, it, it's doing it through Yahoo. So when you click on Yahoo, you're going to see a list of, of services. And in my case, I have mail and messages. Mm -hmm. Though I don't think I've ever used my Yahoo chat under my Yahoo account. But I unchecked mail, waited, and then rechecked it because I thought that would rebuild the, the corruption, it did not. No, that wouldn't. That's another thing to, to consider as well is that some, you know, it's still, it makes me sad, Dave, in our business here of helping people solve their problems here, that sometimes the best solution is to, in this case, <laughs> turn it off and on turn, again. Turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Well, no, I, not, turn, not just turn it off, but turn it off and then back on again. And sometimes it, it gets something out of a weird state and back into a good state. By unchecking the checkbox, waiting a bit, and then rechecking it. But that didn't work either. No, it was. And, you know, I even did what you did. I think I looked at the individual um, message, mm -hmm. the EMLX file, and that was also corrupted. That, okay. that made me sad as well. That's that's why I took this different path of actually creating a new mailbox and moving everybody over. Sure. Is that, yeah, something was just, uh, something weird happened on the local storage, and it just, uh, I couldn't fix it, so... All right. Sorry, that was long-winded, but it was a it, it was just it concerned me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, it's good. I did it's good. Like All right. Uh moving to Josh. Josh Josh says uh because of some past experiences uh that you guys talked about 
and discussed on the podcast, I was prompted to run diagnostics on mine. I was unable to do so. I called Apple Care for help with one day of the service left on my machine. After two more calls and four, count them four, trips to the Genius Bar, a new logic board, a new graphics card, and a new LCD, which all still didn't solve my problem, I was given an i5 Fusion Retina iMac as a replacement machine. This probably wouldn't have happened if you guys didn't talk about all of this stuff and let us share in the experience. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's good. You know, you stay on Apple. They will uh, fix your machine or uh, or replace it. And it, it really it happens more than you think. But yeah, but they won't replace it willy nilly. You know, you've got to you've got to work through the repair process and finally get to the point where where that's not uh, that's not getting you anywhere. Uh, he says, I want to start this machine as fresh as possible. Is there a way to migrate select data and documents over without the user info? I just want my iTunes library, iOS backups, movies, and the documents folder. I know I could drag and drop them from one machine to the other, but I'm not sure if I would need to manually uh, specify permissions or something else in specific apps or folders after copying them over. Also, after I get the data across, is there a way to use the same disk as a time machine backup for the new machine while preserving the backup of the old machine for a while? Or should I just make a clone? I do have clones of the old machine already, but they are a few weeks older than the time machine backup itself. Okay, uh, we'll start at the top. Step one. Uh, is there a way to copy things over? Yeah. And I think your drag and drop method, if you want to start fresh and don't want to inherit from time machine, which is fine and, and probably a good thing every now and again, uh, copy it over and that's fine. You may wind up, uh, with permissions issues. You probably won't, but you might. And so there's two ways to fix your user folder permissions. Disk utility is not involved here. Uh, disk utility basically deals with the permissions of the system and your applications and everything but your user folder. So there is uh, an app that has sadly been deprecated, but I believe still works with the current builds of OS 10.10 called Yasu, yet another system utility. So that will fix your user permissions. Um, it failing that uh, we put up some instructions a couple of years ago that are still uh, still valid. Uh, about how to do this manually by booting from the recovery partition and using uh, a special command called reset permissions from the terminal. So we'll put that in, uh, in, in the, uh, in the show notes as well. So uh, it's a, it's a good, you may wind again, you may wind up with permissions issues, just dragging things over. Um, and it's, so it's good practice to just go ahead and, and clean those up that way that that should help deal with it. As for time machine, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking. If you're asking if you can have two time machine backups on the same disk, that's only possible if that disk is set up as a network backup, at least initially, then you could connect it directly and still do it. But if time machine was set up on this disk initially as a, a direct connect disk, then no, it's going to, it's going to do its time machine backups a little bit differently uh, than if it were on a network, it's not going to put them on a sparse bundle. And so, no, you don't have the option of having two backups on the disc. Um, you know, you could just take that disc and clone it though, uh, and archive off your time machine backup. And you could even archive that, you know, you could take that disc and archive it off as a, 
uh, sparse bundle somewhere. Maybe if you've got a, you know, a NAS drive or a Synology or Drobo or something where you've just got gobs and gobs of storage, just take that old time machine disk, save it as a, a sparse bundle and be done with it. Right. And just leave it in stasis over there, format the, the drive again and, and point time machine at it. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. How about you, John? I like your story. Yeah. It's not bad. I don't know if I have much, you know, I, I think I was researching another question here. So um, recovery offers you a lot of, uh, a lot of options here, but yeah, ba- based on what he was asking, unfortunately it, it, it seems that the feature in recovery, although recovery is great, especially if you want to reinstall an OS, that's one thing that a lot of people may not know that you, you can not only install the OS on the current drive, but also an external drive. Sure. So that's one thing that I actually wasn't too sure about. And I found out, but number two, uh, to your point though, the thing is if you want to restore from a time machine backup using recovery, there is no level of granularity in that it's like, oh, okay, I'm going right. to suck the whole thing down for you. You can do it. I, I it, personally, it's not my preferred method of restoring a system, but it's certainly possible. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. It's, it, I think, yeah, I think copying doing, over for yeah. copying over for apps that uh, are smart enough to see a folder and then say, Oh, this is iTunes. Okay. Yeah. You may have to give it a hint. And maybe like, oh, where is it? And they're like, yeah, it's over here. And it's like, oh, okay, thanks. Great. Yeah. And yeah. then you're good. Yeah. So I think that that's certainly possible for, for most apps that are, yeah, store things in a, in a fashion that is recognizable. Yeah. All right, John, before we move oh, on boy. to Kurt here, I want to yeah. talk about Barebones at our Barebones software at barebones.com. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, these folks have been making fine software for decades, I believe over 25 years. Um, and you know, and, and they're still at it and doing quite well, uh, because they make fine software. They, uh, they make software that makes your life easier in specific ways. If you have to do anything with text, if you're a programmer, certainly BB edit is a no brainer. But even if you're not a programmer or even just a lightweight programmer, BB edit is still a no brainer. I talk about this all the time. I live in BB edit all the time. In fact, just uh, last week, the new developer notes came out right for uh, or the developer agreement because they had to add all the Apple watch stuff in. And so I had the old developer agreement, which I archived in BB edits other app called Yojimbo, where you can store all kinds of stuff. And I have the text of that in there. And I took the text of that and the text of the new one. And I put them into BB edit and I said, compare. And then it just went line by line by line and uh, showed me what had changed and highlighted the differences within a given line. And it was interesting. They added some stuff about watch. Um, they added some stuff about watch OS. Uh, it was very clear. In fact, the MFI program, the made for iPhone program absolutely does not include the watch which was an interesting little tidbit, right? Because, you know, presumably people are going to be making third party bands and stuff for them. Doesn't seem like they need approval from Apple to do that. They don't need a stamp of approval. And it it would have been impossible to sort this stuff out without being able to compare these two documents. And BB edit makes it so easy that I don't even think about it. And it brings up a beautiful view. You know, you, you just put the two documents in, you create two text files and you paste in the data or open the data, however you want to do it. And when you say compare, it actually opens now in version 11, it opens up one window 
that has three panes, two big ones with your document on the left and the right uh, at the top. And then across the bottom is a list of all the line numbers where there are differences. And as you go through, it'll highlight them uh, colored and it'll, it'll highlight the line one way and then highlight the, the actual text differences in the line uh, another way. And if you want, you can actually copy those differences back, you know, from one to the other, uh, either direction. Uh, if you want, you don't have to. Uh, and in, in this case, obviously, that was not my intent. I just wanted to see them. And it makes it super easy. Certainly, you can do this stuff from the terminal if you want. But, man, it's way easier when you get to just see it on your screen, both up at the same time. Nice big window. And uh, take a look at it. If you want to count the number of words or characters in a document or the number of lines, boom, BB edit. You don't even have to do anything. You just open it up and look at the bottom. It shows you. And it'll update as you're typing. Of course, if you're doing any kind of coding, and this could be, you know, uh, you could be doing stuff in, in C, or you could be doing stuff in HTML. Either way, BB Edit senses what language you're in, starts highlighting things to make it easier on screen for you to see what you're doing. It's not doing anything to your code. Your code still just remains text as it should, but it gets you what you want to see right there on your screen. They've really done a nice job with this. And, uh, and I highly recommend checking it out. Barebones.com. You can download a 30 day free trial and check it all out. And then when you're ready to buy right back to barebones.com. In fact, you can buy it right in the app. So, uh, check that out and check out Yojimbo too. That's one of my favorite things. We've been using it, uh, basically since it started, in fact, within hours of its release. And, uh, and it's what I use to organize all of your questions and everything for Mac Geek Gab. And it syncs amongst uh, all my computers and it works properly because they've chosen not to use iCloud syncing. And they actually use a, a third party sync engine that they I think they had something to do with with getting up and running. And it works great. And stuff just syncs and I've got the data everywhere I need it to be. So you got to check it out. Barebones.com. Let them know we sent you. We love those folks and uh, they love you, too. So barebones.com for BB edit and your Jimbo. Check it out. All right, John, you want to take us to Kurt? Yeah. Kurt's got a big nut that we got to crack here. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, I'm going to try to distill what he wrote us here because I think, I think it involves maybe a little more detail than we needed here, but Hey, it's better to have more detail than not enough. So, um, Kurt is running into a puzzling and frustrating problem now that he's running Yosemite. Backups to his external drive crawl along at about three megabytes per second. Um, and things that used to take minutes now take hours uh, in terms of backups. So he's asking us, what can I do? And he describes his setup as follows. So he... Um, so uh, if if I can uh, and help me, Dave here, but I'm going to sure. try to get to the core of this. So I'm going well, to try to he's got, paraphrase this. But he's at a, he has a 2011 MacBook Pro 17 inch. Okay, so we're going to start with that. That's a machine that has a SATA three bus, so six gigabits per second. So that's plenty fast. Then he's got an SSD within that that's partitioned into two 500 gigabyte partitions. Okay. And then I think what he's doing is that he is backing up using SuperDuper from two 500 gig partitions on the SSD to two encrypted sparse bundles on an external drive hooked up with FireWire 800. 
That's right. Did, did, do you think I encapsulated that? Yeah. The only thing I'll add is his his partition, his local partition uh, on the driver file vault encrypted. So the idea is when all is said and done, the backups and the source files are encrypted disks or disk images. Right. And then he asks, do you think it would be better for me? And uh, I hope we agree on this, but if we, we could violently disagree, Dave, but then he asked the question here and I think he's suspecting the question may be that, he is backing up not to another partition or drive, which is pretty much the same thing. Um, but he's backing up to an encrypted disk image or sparse bundle. Yeah. Well, we've and talked I about personally, that. Right? right. And I personally believe that may. And, and basically he asked the question, do you think it would make a difference if instead of my backing up to an encrypted sparse bundle, I backed up to just a regular old encrypted partition yeah well we went through that about a month ago right and okay and tested right okay we tested all the speeds of of backing up to encrypted stuff and and sparse bundles when with encryption were much slower um great okay because i uh yeah my my memory you know i'm getting along in years that's right i wasn't paying attention which you know my you're my old (laughs) we're all used to that's right (laughs) but the thing is yeah my suspicion and and no i'm sure it was in the back of my mind here but my observation dave is at least time machine when when i do a backup using carbon copy cloner to a raw partition none of this uh sparse bundle nonsense the thing is for the uh, time machine in most configurations is backing up to a sparse image right my observation has uh, no, been no. It, it, well, it, it may be if it's it, it, but it's there's not a it's not a nebulous answer, right? If if the disk is direct connected, and you haven't if if you haven't done anything, I mean you can you can jack with all this, right? But by default, if the disk is direct connected, it backs up to the disk and and no sparse right. bundle in the way. If it's backing okay, up a NAS, if it's backing up across the network, either to another Mac or to a time capsule or some other sort of NAS, then it does use a, a sparse bundle. That's right. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah, you but, for clarifying. But, yeah, but it sounds, like, it sounds like he jacked with it and created sparse bundles and, and did that, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it, except you get about half the speed on your backup at best. Right. Yeah. And my feedback was, that's been my observation as well. Yeah. Is that, so I happen to back up using time machine, which uh, for what it does is, is okay. <laughs> yeah but i've noticed the speed is lacking because i have it on my synology and so it's a sparse bundle right and because of that it's slow er yeah you know <laughs> when i back up to a direct connected drive when i back up to a direct connected drive dave using carbon copy cloner especially using one of these you know fancy uh usb3 enclosures <laughs> um i see speeds approaching you know tens if not sometimes hundreds of megabytes per second where i've never seen that backing up using time machine over an as to a sparse bundle just because well, i think all these things are adding uh, uh, personally no, so, no no so there's there's one other factor right because right. It, it depends on what your at what stage your backup is in right if you're doing a brand okay. new backup you're going to see it go much faster, right? Because it's, there's nothing for it to compare. It doesn't have to do a whole lot. It just take, I mean, it has to do a whole lot in terms of data and it just takes all the data and pours it over to where it needs to go. There's no housekeeping to be done. There's no comparison, nothing. 
But as your backup grows and as time goes by, you're doing incremental backups. You're not just saying take everything and go blow it over there and which goes at a very high speed. What you're doing is saying, hey, I want to, you know, make sure we get only the new files. And so it's doing a lot of reading back and forth. And every file, regardless of its size, basically has, a, you know, an upfront cost. You've got to read the file and compare it. And that requires jumping all over the place and, and small files will make a backup go more slowly in terms of speed per megabyte, right? Uh, but it's speed per file is about the same. You're just comparing and then, okay, blast that over there. Compare. Nope. I don't need that one. Compare. Yep. Blast that one over there. Compare. Nope. Don't need that one. Right. It's a very tedious process. And yes, you know, FS events helps hint time machine in the right way and, and helps make this more efficient, but it's still a very slow process. And then there's the processing of, of, of pruning and, and managing all of that other stuff that happens with time machine. It's, it's an inefficient system. So I'm not, you know, I back up to my NAS, my Synology NAS all the time. And I regularly, but not always see it totally max out my gigabit ethernet pipe, you know, and that, that's fine. And other okay. times it goes really slowly because it's got to deal with all these tiny little files. So, all right. Yeah. So, so I think, but, but I think I, I, I want to try to crystallize. Can I try to crystallize? Yeah, go. <laughs> but I think we have two issues here. So one is the horsepower required to do a backup. And as you say to Dave, doing an initial backup should require almost no, no horsepower because you're not comparing against anything from the past. Right. So that's one factor where a backup could be slow because the computer is doing a lot of thinking and, and you know comparisons. The other factor, though, which I think is important here, and then I'm going to say one factor which I believe is not important. So, but another factor which is important is: Are you backing up to a raw drive or partition? I'm going to say those are equivalent. Or are you backing up to a disk image or sparse image? In that the image is going to be slower just because you ha you're adding a layer of complexity. No. And you, you, well, you don't think so? No. We've tested it, right? I mean, we've, we've done all the, the, um, mm. I mean, it's slight. Yeah. Okay. So slightly slower. So let me run through the speeds, right? right. Um, and I'll, I'll deal with right speeds just to keep things straight. So, uh, this was on a, on my, uh, new retina iMac, I think. Uh, yep. And so with directly writing, I was getting 650 uh, megabytes a second to 128 bit sparse bundle, 200, right? So significant loss with, again, this is encrypted, a 256 bit, 180, an insecure sparse bundle, 550. So yes, you're right. Slower, but not, you know, I mean, it is, it's more than 10% slower, but it's, it's still screaming. Uh, an insecure disk image and a secure disk image all about the same in that 550, 560 range. So the, the, the encryption is the killer most likely Real. for what's going yeah. on here. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Huh. Yeah. All right. So if we had to rank them, it would be horsepower to do the comparison. Uh, yeah. And disk and that, image compare uh, disk image slash you're ranking in terms ranking them in terms of, of the most cost impact on. Right. Yes. Yeah. So the comparison, I think, is totally the first one. I think encryption uh, on your 
Encryption on the read, like File Vault, is killer, right? It almost no CPU Im- or uh, yeah. no performance impact, but right. encryption on a, on the sparse bundle, yes, huge. So, um, and then yeah, and then the fact that it's a sparse bundle, it does. I, I to be fair, you're right. It it has an impact, but you know, ten percent ish. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then of course, a way to do it, you know, if you have some extra drives. <laughs> that that's been my approach Dave. I mean we're we're talking here well we're talking here a combination of theory and empirical evidence right which is probably always the best way to approach any problem I, okay this is what I think but this is what I know right because I saw it happen like, yeah exactly yeah but you know it's funny in the in the chat here um there's been some discussion actually throughout the whole show about backup strategies and and several people are saying you know I'm going to get rid of time machine and and or I have gotten rid of time machine and I'm just going to use crash plan and crash plan is interesting, right? Because you can pay crash plan for uh, space on their servers, right? To back your, your machines up mm-hmm. to, but the software is available for free and you can point crash plan locally at another Mac running crash plan and save your backups that way, or, or even just locally on, onto your Mac. And, and it works great. Right. And it, especially for doing it over a, a network, a local network, Crash plan blows away time machine in terms of efficiency and speed and all that stuff. The one problem, and this isn't, this isn't a problem with crash plan. In fact, this is a benefit of crash plan. It has to work this way. You want it to work this way when you're backing up to their servers, but the resulting backup data is only readable by crash plan. Uh, The client, I mean, you'd need your password, your encryption keys and all that stuff. Time machine it backs up whether it's a disc or a, a sparse bundle. You can take that disc and mount it on any Mac or that sparse bundle and mount it on any Mac and read your data. Now, if you've encrypted the sparse bundle, obviously you need the key, but you don't need a separate piece of software. It's just a normal disc image and, and the data is not archived in a weird, well, it is kind of archived in a weird way, but it's in a weird way that makes sense to you. Even if you just browsed it from the finder, <laughs> right? I mean, you can browse it from the finder. That's the difference. A crash plan backup. You cannot browse from the finder. You have to install crash plan and look at it. And the issue there is, and I haven't seen this happen, but it's a potential issue. If that crash plan backup becomes, if one bit of it becomes corrupted, you may not have access to any of it. Right. That, it, that's the problem with containers. Right. It's a proprietary container. And so if one bit of your time machine backup becomes corrupted, you can't get at that bit of it. But the rest of it is all just fine. And that's where, you know, relying. I use crash plan, but I wouldn't. I also use time machine. And part of the reason I use time machine is because it's backing up in a format that. I know I have access to it's unreliable. And I actually had to put on my calendar once a month to go through and like maintain all my time machine backups. Cause invariably one of them has stopped for some stupid reason. Yeah. You know, yeah it sucks, but well, you get that message. Ah, I'm going to verify it up. Oh, it's garbage. You better yeah. start over. Right. Yeah. It's such a pain in the neck. I've uh, gotten that every, yeah. Cause we back up to every, s- every several months. Yeah. I get that message on, on the two machines that I use to do time machine. It's like, yep. And it's because you, it's because you back up to a third party NAS, right? I mean, that's really, Oh, that's totally the issue. Yeah. 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 It's just how it works. It's stupid, but you know, I mean, what can we do? Right. It's, I'm not going to back up to a, I mean, a time capsule doesn't make any sense. That's a stupid invention. It was a great idea. It was, 
It was a great uh, idea. I, I got rid of mine, but uh, yeah. yeah. It, well, well, here's the thing. <sighs> and this is why I like crash plan better for backing up to a NAS, right? Because when I back up crash plan to a NAS, the NAS runs crash plan and my computer runs it. So all my computer does is pack up the data and send it over to the NAS. The NAS receives it and creates the, and creates and manages the crash plan file. Right. And so it's totally maximizing the fact that the NAS itself has a CPU in it and the time capsule has a CPU in it too. It's just unused for this. Um, and so, you know, if the data, if the data in the backup needs to be, if there needs to be some pruning done or anything, that's all done on the NAS side. Mike Mac is not tied up trying to manage something from across the network. That's stupid. Let the NAS do it. It's right there local. Well, time, time machine and, and the time capsule, the time capsule just says, uh, here's a blank slate. Go ahead and do whatever you want with it. And I'm not going to help. And it's all up to your Mac from across the network to manage all this stuff. And that's why it gets all screwed up and everything. So Apple could have done a lot more with, with time machine, but this, you know, all right. we can rant about that as much as we want. I don't know. Okay. My, my current favorite, Dave, a uh, carbon copy cloner to me is, Oh, the thing. sure. If you, if you had to rank the trust that I have in the backup that any tool that I have in my disposal does, that's it. I'm a hundred percent with you. I would say, I would say that is my number one. My number two is, all of the various cloud services that I use, whether it be Dropbox or BitCasa or hmm. Box.com or Google Drive or there's a few others. Um, but I use multiple services, as you can tell, to back up what I consider my important documents. So not the operating system, not you know my system preferences and stuff. Okay, that's disposable for the most part, right? But, right. but the documents, right. it's so, recreatable. Um, in of, yeah. Right. In, in addition to backing up my documents with um, the, the, you know, carbon copy cloner or time machine. Okay. So we got two data points there. I'll back them up with these cloud services as well. So, so they're in multiple locations because if you haven't heard us say it in the past and uh, you're going to hear me now, if you have only one backup, you might as well have none. That's right. Have not one, not two, Probably three. And I think for the things that are important to me, Dave, I think I have at least three backups in multiple locations of things that are important to me. And, and I think that's uh, at the very least what you should do if you're listening to the show. Otherwise, um, you know, we're going to send you to the back of the room. That's right. I will throw one thing in. I, I use all those cloud services. Well, not all of them. I use Dropbox because it's handy for like sharing data with you. But in terms of my own data, I don't use any public clouds anymore. Um, for anything like oh, that. Oh, and Transporter. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. I, step, I probably stepped on you, but I also use Transporter. So I, I have Transporter mirroring my uh, documents folders as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't use Transporter as much because I started hmm. using BitTorrent Sync. That is hands oh, down. Yeah. It is so good. Um, I've got it running on my NAS. I've got it running on all my Macs. And it just, you know, it's simple. It just lets me create my own private cloud, but it's amongst all my Macs. I don't have to, it doesn't require, there is no server for that, right? There, the, everything participates equally. And it, yes, I have it running on my disk station, but I don't need to, you know, it's not like everything points at that as the one central point. It, everything points at each other as the one central point. There is no sense. It's, it's decentralized and it really makes a difference. Um, in terms of just syncing all that stuff, it happens on my local network, or if I leave, it happens remotely. 
so a bit, you know, but I'm with you. Carbon copy cloners at the top of my list. Then like, you know, you've got your cloud services. I've got BitTorrent sync that I use to trust everything. And, uh, and then time machines further now, down the list, but better yet, Dave. So, um, I'm just peeking here in our chat room and you may be asking yourself, what am I speaking of? Well, if you go to MacGeekab.com slash stream, uh, that is the place where you can either hear us live. And for those listening to us live, hello, or, and, or you can chat with us using this, uh, IRC technology, which to this day still allows us to chat here. But, um, mm-hmm. our friend Alex reflects, and actually I, w- I would say it's a, uh, I'll agree with him, but he says, you know, we talk a lot about backups, but he says, don't forget to archive. And he says, optical is still king for long-term storage. I think I'm with him on that, though I did have a uh, the optical storage, whether it be CD, DVD, or a, a different optical technology, will degrade over time, as do hard drives and, and anything, really. I mean, nothing is permanent in this, this right. realm, right? Right. <laughs> I don't do optical, but I, I do know people that work in data centers and yeah, the, the need to, uh, you know, store thing for long term. Yeah. Optical, whether it be CDD, DVD or another, uh, optical medium. Yeah, sure. That, that's certainly an option. All right, folks. Did we beat that horse to death. We did. Poor horse. Sorry, horse. <laughs> so. Oh, uh, let's see. If you want to contact us, feedback at MacGeekab.com is the email address that you can send stuff to. Uh, Skype's acting up, Dave, because, you know, I, I could have sworn I heard you say feedback at MacGeekab.com. I did. I said feedback at MacGeekab.com. And, uh, and, but if you want to uh, uh, call us, you can call 206 206- 666 geek with john which which john is four three three five and what else you can take your time and we would appreciate this and write us an itunes review uh right in the itunes store for podcast mac geek gab we'll put a link right here in the show notes for you <laughs> go ahead and write us a review we'd really appreciate it you know uh i was looking here there's a couple i'll read uh, snowbird b wrote uh just recently wrote john and dave are the reason that all my family friends and their friends come to me for apple help i learn things that i don't realize will help and years later there the info is perfect for the problem at hand uh niceville steve wrote this is the only one I recommend to my fellow Mac and iOS users. Dave, John, and Pilot Pete provide great tips and banter that's fun to listen to and keeps me informed. Uh, Bam Bam says, I have been listening for many years and still enjoy these podcasts. Great tech info, enjoyable format. Just don't try so hard to set up each other's responses to the listeners' questions. So seriously, go ahead and write us a review. Let us know what you think. <laughs> no, it's great. It, this is this is good stuff, and we I do. I think you missed the one, Dave, where... We read these. The listener... Well, I read it. I saw a recent one, and, and the listener said... I just want to strangle John sometimes because of his yes. ADD. That's right. John, John has really <laughs> stepped up uh, it stepped up his involvement in the last 18 months, although you'll want to strangle the ADD out of him at times. <laughs> this pair keep me company every week during my commute. Keep up the great work, Thanks guys. Thanks so much. <laughs> no, it's good. So please. I, I'm, I'm, we're all improving, right? Because well, that's, that's it. That's a goal in life. That's we should it. all be improving everything we do. I want so to I, thank I will t- Squirrel. 
Yes, I want to thank Michael Johnston. Uh, speaking of ADD, I'll bring us back on track. I want to thank Michael Johnston. He is the one that converts this show to AAC and adds all the links and chapters, and he will continue doing that, uh, hopefully until Apple just stops supporting it altogether. But uh, but I'm not convinced that'll stop. I, I think it'll keep going. And uh, he produces the iOS show podcast, which you definitely should go listen to, and leave them a review too, would you please? Uh, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-G-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you, and we thank them for that, too. Uh, let's see. The podcast marketplace includes, as we mentioned during the show, Linda at LYNDA.com slash MGG for 10 free days. OWC at uh, MacSales.com. Good folks there. Barebones.com for Barebones software. Uh um, iAmazing.com You can't miss that, right? And coupon code MGG saves you 20% there Smile at SmileSoftware.com And those folks make some software I couldn't live without You can't live without it either Go check it out Lastly, Squarespace at Squarespace.com slash MGG Coupon code MGG gets you 10% off You can build a beautiful site and host it right there John, if the squirrels don't Haven't distracted you yet do you have one last thing maybe to share? I think I do. And, and, and this is to all the people that um, don't do backups because, you know, you really should do a backup because if you don't, you're probably going to get caught.